Heavenly Father, we thank you for another beautiful morning. We pray that um, everyone makes it safely through the the beauty of the morning all over the roads. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, anyone who's on the fence about coming, you would give them discernment and wisdom uh, to know whether to, to go out in this and, and keep them safe if they do. Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified in our reading of your word today, our discussing of uh, repentance unto faith in this class, and Lord, our worship of you in our in our morning service. Lord, we pray that you would be lifted up, we would be edified, that we would leave this place having been fed of your word and, and having been made that much more into the image of your son, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, we are on question... Hmm... 70? No. Still? What is repentance unto life? Repentance to life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sins and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sins turn from it to God with full purpose to strive after new obedience. Wow. That was well done for Baptists. Usually there's that one person who like will not stick with everybody else. Here. Yeah, don't you feel like like being in Lutheran churches where people were used to doing something in a certain cadence? It's really frustrating. This church was like, don't you feel this? This is so natural. The thing is, it's not that someone doesn't feel it. It's that that same person who votes no on everything out of principle, so there's nothing unanimous. Is like this liturgy will also not be unanimous. Soul liberty, man. All right. I have heard, says Mr. Daniel Wilson in a sermon of his, of a certain person whose name I could mention, who was tempted to conclude his day over and himself lost. That, therefore, it was his best course to put an end to his life, which, if continued, would but serve to increase his sin and consequently his misery from which there was no escape. And seeing he must be in hell, the sooner he was there, the sooner he should know the worst which was preferable to his being worn away with the tormenting expectation of what was to come. Under the influence of such suggestions as these, he went to a river with a design to throw himself in. But as he was about to do it, he seemed to hear a voice saying to him, Who can tell? At least as deep an impression was made upon him as if these words had been audibly delivered. By this, therefore, he was brought to a stand. His thoughts were arrested, and thus began to work on the passage mentioned. Who can tell? Jonah 3, 9. That is, what God can do when he will proclaim his grace glorious. Who can tell how far God may suffer the tempter to prevail, and yet, after all, disappoint his malice? Who can tell how long the spirit may strive, and yet return with renewing efficacious grace? Who can tell but such as one as I may find mercy? Or what will be the issue of humble prayer to heaven for it? Who can tell what purposes God will serve in my recovery? By such thoughts as these, being so far influenced as to resolve to try, it pleased God graciously to come in and enable him, through all his doubts and fears, to throw himself by faith on Jesus Christ, as able to save him to the uttermost, all that come to God by him, humbly desiring and expecting mercy for his sake to his soul, to his own soul. In this he was not disappointed, but afterwards became an eminent Christian and minister, and from his own experience of the riches of grace, was greatly useful to the conversion and comfort of others. It's interesting that that popped up. I was just 
preaching on uh, the same words uh, in the in our translation, who's to say? Mm-hmm. And um, Jonah says it kind of spitefully, whereas Mordecai says that kind of hopefully. But either way, this guy uh, heard these words in his mind. Hey, there's a chance, there's some chance God's still going to be working on me, even though I've been failing and failing and failing and failing. Um, why give up? And I think that's a, a wonderful reminder for all Christians when you feel like, Hey, maybe you don't feel like throwing yourself into a river, but giving up on following Jesus or, or just saying, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. I'm obviously not going to be as uh, successful at it as, as I need to be or as people around me are. Everyone else seems to not have uh, the same struggles. Recognize, first of all, they have struggles you don't see. And secondly, that who's to say? God may be allowing you to struggle for such a long time so that when he gives you victory over these things, it'll be all the more to his glory. Um, so we are now all almost done with this question. The answer brings us down to full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. We'd already talked about uh, the, the crown given to Caesar at the same time as the rebellion against him. And we had started looking at the uses uh, of this particular question, meaning the applications of this question. I do believe we had gotten through the first... This is where you had like a whole big page full of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And questions, by the way. Yeah, we only did one. We just did we one. whole page, yeah. The one where Dr. Hooker says, a general persuasion that thou art a sinner... Blah, blah, blah. Also, I'm embarrassed that my name is Dr. Hooker. Okay. Uh, Two. It is only an extension of the same great principle of true repentance to apply it to particular persons with whom we have had to do and against whom we have sinned. On this point, the confession takes up this position. As every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, so he that scandalizeth his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by a private or public confession of his sin to declare his repentance to those who are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. You got that, Calvin? That was a little bit uh, archaic in the language. You got it. Yeah, man, you got it. Um, it. It is only an extension of the same great principle. So it's not a new teaching. It's not even another application, but it only follows that this idea of uh, continually turning to God in repentance uh, to life is going to live outwardly in turning to one another in repenting and repenting privately or publicly depending on the nature of your sin. Uh, I think that the, the situation calls either for public or private confession depending on whether it is public or private sin, and that has often been something difficult for people to grasp. Aaron and I often will joke about uh, a time that we were in a very mixed setting, young and old, men and women, maybe even children, uh, prayer meeting at a church we uh, attended <laughs> formerly, and a college-age guy uh, just started confessing to the group all sorts of things that you ought not to have been brought up that I won't uh, specify, but you can guess probably the nature of them. 
And everyone was just like, what do we do? And finally the pastor just stopped him and said, you know what, why don't you and I meet and talk about this later? Um, now that was a sin only against God that could be well confessed to a small group of brothers in that case, right? I'm struggling with this, pray for me. Confess your sins one to another, I think, doesn't just command us, if I sin against Alex, I confess my sin to Alex, but rather, it's good for my soul to tell Alex what I'm struggling with, because then he's praying for me, and it's out in the open, and the light is on it. It's not hidden in the darkness inside of me. But when I start saying, well, I've got to confess everything I've ever done, so, gosh, I was really angry with Sam last week, and for a minute, I actually kind of hated her. (laughs) let me go tell her maybe that's not helpful maybe it is if it's really poisonous inside of me I think we need discernment for this stuff Um, how how have you what principles have you found in your life to to help you know when to confess a sin to God only and when to go to an individual and and confess I usually will have just a gnawing feeling that I've hurt someone's feelings or that it there just isn't something sitting there ready, and if I feel like I need to apologize, even if they may say, oh, I didn't think about it at all, but if it's just something that I feel like I need to do, then... Conviction of sin, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit talking to you. I think that's probably the... Definitely, that's the core of it, right? Um, if you're led to do something like that, you got to do it. I think Jesus also gives us this great example of if you're about to offer the, the gift at the altar... And you remember, your brother has something against you. Leave it there. Go be reconciled. In that case, it seems like also your brother is probably uh, feeling not only this distance from you, but some distance from God because you've got something against each other. It's hard for us to come reconciled before God and worship him and stand in his presence um, knowing he has forgiven us everything when we're still holding the, these comparatively small things against our, our fellow uh, human beings. Uh, there has also been, you know, a, a number of people I've known who've, who've confessed things to people that, that made them very uncomfortable individually. Uh, one, one person at, at camp, in fact, we, we had a very big problem uh, one year when I was at Lake Louise because a guy decided to go in after a campfire. He was so convicted. He was going to go tell all the girls that, that he had lusted after. I'm so sorry for what, and they were all like, God, 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 gross, no. And, uh, and, and a very wise and godly uh, pastor took him aside and said, look, this is a good thing that you want to be forgiven and made clean, but you, you, this is between you and God. And so if something's between you and God, I think what you want to do is ask yourself, how can I... Uh, be sanctified without becoming any kind of stumbling block or offense to someone else. You know, if I tell someone, I, I, you know, I couldn't stand you for 10 years and, and I, I faked and they it never the whole knew. And they never knew. I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, there may be a situation in which the Holy Spirit says, no, you do need to tell that person that, that you were holding on to anger and it'll be a good thing. Or maybe that's just going to crush them or it's going to maybe in the, your flesh, that's kind of another way that you can like get some revenge while having the moral high ground and looking holy. Well, and I think it, it also comes down to like, are you doing something just to make yourself feel better? Or are you actually thinking of that other person when you're 
mm-hmm. deciding whether or not to say to them whatever you were struggling with inwardly if you hadn't shown it outwardly? Is it just so that you can get this off your chest? Right. Am I going to saddle you with it now right. and walk away feeling all the lighter? And you're right. going to go, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, am I to blame for that? Am I? A, yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we want to consider uh, in our world where our relationship with God is this very isolated perfectly vertical, you know, blue sky beam between us and the creator. And it's really awkward when it involves other people. It shouldn't be. It should be this communal, beautiful, uh, congregational thing. But uh, it gets awkward in that way. And we have to stop and say, hold on, am I just trying to serve this vertical thing? Or am I building the church? Am I, am I helping to build others up with my words? When I speak the truth in love, is this potentially going to have a destructive effect on other people and their faith, or is it going to, to build them up? Uh, St. Paul says, say only what is helpful in building others up. It's a verse I try not to think about until God just jams it in my mind. Uh, three, but we must not only repent continually of what we have done, we must still more repent of who we are, what we are. The most perfect penitents aim at this and in measure attain to it. It is not so much for the sins that have come out of their hearts that they are humbled as for the bottomless sinfulness out of which the sins sprang. I think that kind of gets back to what we were talking about, the the Tim Keller, I broke God's law versus I broke God's heart situation. Um, I had a long debate with a professor about this years ago. Do we need to continually repent of what we are uh, or, or of what we've done and said? And, and I said, well, once you're justified and you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint, why would you repent of that? And uh, I think I was just being too cute by half. There obviously still is something in what I am that is rooted in the old Adam, sin nature, uh, that is susceptible to the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, as long as that's there, I have to continually repent of it, right? Do you guys think this is uh, a part of your spiritual life? Do you think it's something that is common amongst Christians today? The idea of repenting not just of what you've done, but of what you are? I don't know if it would... It might be easier to, to sort of see that that's something you need to do depending on the sins that you have the most trouble with. So if you have um, trouble with these outward sins, it might feel like these are things I do versus something I am. But if you have trouble with the sort of inward sins of like pride or lust or something like that, then that I think would be easier to see that I need to continually repent of this because this is not something I'm showing outwardly or doing outwardly to people, but it is something that's completely part of me that I have to continually you know, not ignore and actually mm-hmm. deal with. At the end of the day, though, the outward things spring from the same place, right? Yeah, but I'm saying that it, it might not be as obvious right. if, if, okay. if your main problem seems to be outward things. It might not be as obvious at that point. And I think that's something that comes with maturity as a Christian. Like, as you grow in your faith and you grow older and you see that, you know, okay, I've got these outward things under control. That doesn't mean that I don't still struggle with things. Yeah, yeah. And I think with with interpersonal sins, it's easy to, in the back of your mind, sort of assume all those other jerks are a big part of the problem. Yeah. I'll repent of who they are for them. 
I, I think this is a, a thing you got to be careful with because it can turn into underplaying the effect of God's grace on us and, yeah. and you know, this constant, I'm, I'm the worst. Remember, Paul has a tension here of he's the chief of sinners. He's constantly having to, to turn to God and say, the wretched man that I am, at the same time, he is very clear that in God's sight, he is washed clean, that he is able to live a life pleasing to God because of God's grace at work in him. Uh, to wheel and to work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so <clears throat> I, think, I think it's one of those things where you can go either way to Puritan. Um, people are garbage-coated garbage. Or you can go way to kind of uh, humanist and, hey, 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 you know, these are just whoopsies. You're, you're forgiven. Don't worry. There's a, Jesus' blood is there, and that's, you know, cheap to get more of. So both of those are dangerous, I think. Fourth, and this one is, I think, controversial. I'm just going to read it, and then I want you to think for a second and then respond. No true penitent forgets or forgives himself. An unforgiving spirit toward himself is the very price of God's forgiving him. Still, let this comfort and encourage all penitents. They may be highest in the kingdom of heaven. They may be, like St. Paul, not a whit behind the chiefest. It's a quote from No Man. That wasn't a Jerry Seinfeld impression. That was a deeper cut. You know, Aaron. Um, I'll read what the first sentence one more time. No true penitent forgets or forgives himself. An unforgiving spirit toward himself is the very price of God's forgiving him. I don't know. It doesn't square with today, right? Where... Listen, you've got to learn to forgive yourself before you can forgive anyone else. You've got to love yourself before you can really love anyone else. Um, it fits in with the Beatitudes, right? Poor in spirit. Like those kind of scenarios. You need to know that you're a sinner. You need to know that you've, and, and repeatedly, sinned against God. Um, so I guess if that's what it's saying, you need to have that knowledge that you are fallen yet forgiven, you know. Mm-hmm. Sinner and saint at the same time. And say it. Just say the Latin. You know you want to. <laughs> Simul justus et peccator. Sure. Sure. I think the part that's weird is the idea of it being the, the price. That's the weird part to me. Like, I yeah. Think that you ever forget your sins, and I think that you, if you bring them to mind, you would still feel the same feeling of repentance, even though you know it's covered. You still feel badly about it. But that it's the price of the very price of God's forgiving him. I think that's weird. The the idea here is that because you didn't deal with it yourself, uh, God did. This right. is a continual reminder. I, I it's one of these situations where you you can uh, go yeah this squares with this passage this passage this passage but it also still just. Well, it Something about it, it makes me go. Yeah, it doesn't square hmm? with the idea of your sins are as far from you as the east is from the west, or they're thrown into the bottom of the sea, or anything like that. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. square. Now, Paul does talk about uh, former things of which we are even now ashamed. Uh, I, I do think we want to make sure we don't forget we, yeah. that we have sinned I don't and know been how saved. You could. Well, um, I think the longer someone is religious, and the longer they get more and more holy and kind of get their life together in different ways, the easier it is to forget 
the the muck and mire out of which they were pulled uh, before they were washed. Well, there, but I don't think you'd ever forget that it happened. To take seven million years, maybe you'll forget. I don't know. <laughs> this has been an argument I think is um, either brilliant or like kind of cheesy. That the only thing that seems to continually be uh, remain of sin into eternity is the scars in Christ's hands and feet and side, uh, which after the resurrection, when he is now quite clearly in a glorified state, uh, like how we will be changed and made unto him, you know, his, his uh, glorious uh, body, he still is able to say, put your hand here, put your fingers in the holes of my hands. And, and why would that be? You know, if, if he wasn't saying, check out my back, it is a huge mess. Um, scourge marks, all this stuff. You know, he, he doesn't seem to, you know, his, his beard isn't, they would have recognized him right away if that's how he appeared to them, right? They would have said, this is what you look like, at least John, the last time I saw you. And yet there, you know, there's sometimes like, is it the Lord? Who is it? Is that the Lord? Um, and so I think there's something to be said there for a continual reminder for all eternity that the relationship is not ever going to kind of even out where we're like, well, that's in the past. And with humans, you might even try to do that. But yeah, like you say, I don't know that you ever could. If, if I've forgiven someone something enormous and years go by, and like, like you hear stories of um, the mother whose uh, son is murdered. And then when the murderer gets out of prison, she, he has nowhere to go and she takes him in. And I, I, I watch that every once in a while because it just makes me like, Overwhelmed because it's not out of human kindness, but out of a love of, of, of God that she's doing this. But you know, there's never at least a whole day or a week that goes by where she's not like, that guy killed my son. Okay, hold on. I've got to forgive him again. I've got to remember, you know, like, and, and that he doesn't say, you know, wake up in a warm bed and say, oh, I can't believe that I've been forgiven for this, this thing. It's, it's established the relationship. And maybe that's what's being said here. Um, is that we have a tendency to forget gifts that have been given us. I mean, look how quickly in the parable the guy's forgiven the $30 million debt and he forgets that between the space of the the throne room and the outer court of the palace and starts uh, throttling the guy who owes him like 40 bucks. So I, I think we want to remember where we've come from but yeah, I think to, like you say, to dwell there may even Im- impede our, our progress. I think it does. I think that it, it um, you can see that in your own life and you can see that in other people's lives. If they just can't get past the one thing and they keep coming back and coming back and coming back to it um, and continually thinking, I mean, if you keep dwelling there, are you, do you really believe that that's been forgiven? If, if you continually feel just as guilty and just as horrible for your whole life about this sin, yeah. do you really believe that God's uh, sacrifice has any efficacy in your life? Right, right. Or, yeah, or, or do you need to kind of keep on crawling up on a littler cross and, and like, yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, and the enemy will use shame over yeah. sins that are long covered and dealt with. And we don't want to... Uh, enable that in our in our lives either and I think that's something for us to be careful of when we're with people who we know are struggling with something like that because we don't want to continually bring it up to them either 
And if they're like working past it, a lot of times you see that in families or friendships or whatever, where somebody just keeps bringing up the thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to help that person. You owe me $200. Why are you talking to me? You know what I mean? That's not going to help that person believe that that's been covered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There is on the other side of this, uh, no true penitent forgets or forgives the comfort and encouragement offered to everyone that no matter how much you've sinned, you're probably during your varsity compared to the, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, and St. Paul himself says, uh, I'll, I'll vie for the position of chief of sinners with anybody. So you're in good company in the church and you are, you're not in danger of being rejected. Fifth and finally, a quote from Goodwin. But we profess that as ravishing joy is not necessary and essential to faith, so nor deep vexing gashes and impressions of wrath are necessary to humiliation. Though they often accompany it, as the one is the overflow of faith and the other of humiliation. Say it again. We profess that just as ravishing joy is not necessary and essential to faith, deep vexing gashes and impressions of wrath are not necessary to humiliation, though they often accompany it, as the one is the overflow of faith and the other of humiliation. That may seem to kind of fly in the face of even our discussion the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know exactly what deep vexing gashes and impressions indicates, but if it means being completely brokenhearted over your sin, then I think Goodwin's wrong. I think there is no possible real humiliation before the cross without being horribly vexed, feeling horribly broken. But in continual life, um, it could be that the spirit is leading your friend to see his faith by, you know, he's always weeping. He's always crying and sorrowful and, and oh, woe is me and wretched man that I am. And I'm going, well, I mean, the spirit leads me and I confess my sins, but I don't, I don't get nearly as vexed up and gashed up. Am I not as, uh, you know, committed a Christian or am I not really saved? And I don't think that that is necessary, uh, just as Goodwin is, is saying, that is not a necess necessity to continued humiliation, continued um, humility and, and, and devotion to Jesus, uh, to follow him and be led by him the way that he leads you. And I think sometimes people tend to try to stir up those really deep mm -hmm. and passionate and We've talked about that extreme before. emotions. That, that oh, Aaron, we've talked about everything before. We've talked about everything before. But, like, I mean, me growing up in a very, in a non-demonstrative church. Lake Wobegon, Lutheran. <laughs> exactly. And then I'm involved with a lot of people who, um, like, through, like, Christian writers or whatever, who, when I hear them speak, I'm like, gosh, I don't, I don't talk like that. Like, they put God into every sentence. Like, I, like it's, it's just so different. And I'm like, am I doing something wrong? Like, why did I feel this way? Lean into the scratchy whisper and <laughs> the rest will come. Whisper. Here are some questions. Some of these we'll just skip because uh, they're too nerdy. Some of them are for Calvinist cadets. You ever heard of the Calvinist cadets? It's a real thing. All of my cousins in Zealand and Holland, Michigan 
in their Christian Reformed churches are part of the Calvinist cadets. Can you explain why the Westminster divines have placed repentance after faith, justification, adoption, and sanctification in the order of the evangelical graces? Say that list again of things. After faith, justification, adoption, and sanctification, all of which seem like they follow from repentance. Uh, It says, reconcile their method with Mark 1.15. Someone look that up for us. And Acts 20.21. Mark 1.15 is in the middle of a sentence, so I'm going to start at 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that would place repentance then before faith. Uh, Acts 20.21 says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I mean, the quickest way to explain it would be they got it wrong. (laughs) <laughs> they provide those proof texts for the yeah for their order <laughs> um, I think that we've seen I know that we saw the Acts 20.21 in the last few uh, questions no I mean like do they have a reason that they, they put it in the order that they do with repentance after all of those things they don't supply reason, a reason or an apology for the order in oh. the document no if no one has any ideas, just tell us the answer. I, I would think that uh, because this comes out of the Reformation tradition, we're thinking of what Luther said when Jesus told us uh, to repent. He didn't mean either a formal, occasional sacrament like the the state church of his day, or a single one-time come to Jesus moment that takes care of everything, but rather that we live, which is the first uh, thesis for you Lutherans, uh, <laughs> that we live a life of repentance. And I think that uh, you can put it after justification and adoption, certainly, after yeah. initial faith, saving faith. Um, I think it's part of sanctification. And it's, yeah, it's kind of folded into sanctification, so it makes perfect sense to me that we come to this idea of a repentance to life being not put at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of discussed in the course of uh, some of these earlier things, and then revisited as, does your life look like this? Uh, I, I think that makes all the sense in the world. Three, explain and illustrate from Scripture... Mosley's Mosley's words, Mosley spelled M-O-Z-L-E-Y. That's interesting. Mosley's words from SA 132. You guys know SA 132. With the growth in goodness grows the sense of sin. With the growth in goodness grows the sense of sin. Paul is a fine example of that, where he is following more and more closely after Christ, but it wasn't... He didn't know the depth of his sin before he followed Christ. He thought he was doing the right thing, persecuting the church. And as he's living and and doing God's work more and more and more in his life, that's as when he's saying, 
the things I want to do, I don't do the things, no. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing and all that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just waiting for you to struggle your way through it. That's yeah, really nice of you. I know, Thank I love you. you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so you're not going to find less and less sin in your life. Right. You're just going to be more and more sensitive to it. There will be less and less sin in your life. But it often seems like there's more and more because the deeper you dig, the the more you you find. And I think I think too you see it when you when you talk with kids because for kids the things that they do that are sinful seem so small to, to them I think and they they seem small in the scheme of life you know like I took that kid's toy or I hit my sister or something like that that just seems like a part of being a kid but as you grow older you you have a lot more opportunities to, to hurt a lot more people and to do a lot more sinful things. Did you ever see The Good Son? A long... Is that Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin? Kids get to hurt people really oh, bad. Yeah. He stabbed that guy with scissors. Um, no, you are correct. I don't really want to ask the next question. I just want to tell you how it starts. Criticize, which is spelled an S because it's British. Criticize and correct Dr. Johnson's statement of his faith. <laughs> it gives it... Criticize and correct this guy. This is for children. Listen, children. Here's this guy whose life's work has been writing about it. Criticize and correct the statement of his faith. Ah, oh, boy. Uh, it's a bad statement. Repentance is supplatory to obedience. Uh, no, repentance is the ground of any true obedience. There, I criticized and corrected it. Uh, it's time to go. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, a question that took us quite a few weeks to get through because it is the, the core of our lives as Christians, that, that if we will have life, it will be a life of repentance that we li live. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us hearts that are continually turning back to you, confessing our sins, receiving your forgiveness, uh, Lord, and truly receiving it and, and being made new. And, and Lord, may it, uh, the fact that we are continually having to repent not only of what we do, but often of, of what we are, not only of the sins we commit, but of the, the heart of sin that, from which it springs, that, Lord, that would make us all the more humble and all the more uh, uh, kind and tender and merciful when we deal with others, that, Lord, we would, um, like Jesus, uh, look at, at people who are caught in sin and even those who are uh, willfully stuck in it and be moved by compassion uh, rather than, than judgment. Lord, we pray that we would be instruments of your grace and, and the heralds of your gospel. Uh, this week, as we go out into our lives, Lord, we pray that uh, we would confess of our, our own sins. When, when necessary, Lord, you'd give us the, the discernment to know when to confess one to another and when to privately make confession to you in prayer. Lord, we pray that we would draw all the closer to you and, Lord, not be... Uh, discouraged but encouraged when we are, b become more and more sensitive to sin and see uh, even the, the quote-unquote little things as uh, troubling and, and a cause for repentance and, and repentance unto life. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.